Yeah. So like when I'm listening, cause I have our tracks separately, so I'll be editing my track and occasionally I can actually hear your voice in my track, which means my mic is picking up your voice from my headphones. Why are your headphones so loud? I don't know. It's <laughs> how I like it. Okay. It's not good for your hearing. What? That can't be good for your hearing. Don't be a... <laughs> You're such a loser. Welcome to the Toronto Beer Podcast with me, Chris Schreier, and my co-host, Mandy Murphy. How you doing, Mandy? Hey, Chris. I'm good. How are you? I am doing a lot better than last time, let me tell you that. You sound a lot healthier. That was not fun. You sound a lot healthier this week. Yeah, I'm feeling it. I still have just the slightest bit of congestion, but uh, that, was, that, was, that was some rough going two weeks ago. I'm, I'm amazed we got through that and I didn't say something horrible or pass out or something. So was, thank you all for bearing with me and uh, happy to be back and healthy now. So, uh, hey, we, we covered some stuff last time um, and so we got a bit of follow up to do. The first and easiest, because it's going to be this quick, we're on iTunes. Isn't that good news? Yay. Yeah, I thought we should have had like um, champagne bottles popping. Maybe I can put that in and post or something. But uh, Do you yep, need me, so we're listed. You need me to pop some bottles for you? No, you already did that. You told me, so it's all right. <laughs> it's fine. Easy there. We don't need to drink too much yet. It's, the night is young. But uh, so yep, you can search us up iTunes. It's Toronto Beer Podcast. It's super easy to find, and uh, you just subscribe on up there. We're also on a couple of other um, podcast carriers and stuff. So, you know, whatever your flavor is, we're, we're out there. So that's good news. Uh, the other thing, and, and it's funny because um, we had a little conversation before this started that I was definitive 100% sure of this next piece of news, whereas Mandy was 100% sure that it's not sure, but uh, spoke with Fabian today. And he told me they're looking at the summer festival for August 8th, 9th, which is Taste of the Danforth. Mandy, you, of course, pointed out that's also the Roundhouse Craft Beer Fest. So uh, it's up in the air right now. So that's the short story. Pencil it in August 8th and 9th, but uh, it might change. So we'll see about that. Uh, do you want to do this next note? Do you have the show notes open? Because you can. I do, but I have nothing you know, you can, interesting to say about it. You don't want to turn the tables on me and, and, and mm. make fun of the fact that. Come on, I did that to you so hard last time. No, it's not really my style. Okay, well, I'll do it for you. Um, I, I went on a rant um, about during the what is craft conversation we were having, which was great, by the way. Uh, I think it's it's good uh, to kind of, you know, hammer out that middle ground. But anyway, and I made reference to the fact I said, well, I bet Hacker Shore and Paul Anner as a, as a company make more than the uh, Brewers Association standard to be considered craft beer, but not calling them craft beer would be insane. I was wrong. They actually make less than the Brewers Association standard. So they're well within the definition of craft beer as far as the Brewers Association is concerned. And that's maybe why I should get a stand for my mic so I can look these things up on the fly because it took me about three seconds to find that out. And it would have been easy to do. So I was wrong. Uh, I was going to say you were right. You weren't really right. You just no, had I the did. opportunity to, you know. I didn't know. And so when I don't know, I like to just say nothing to not sound like an idiot. So basically, Mandy's calling me an idiot. That's a good start to the show. Happy days. And uh, probably well-deserved because I really was ranting about that. So that's good times. Uh, and as everyone, hopefully, if you were listening, knows, we went away, both of us separately, uh, to two different things um, last weekend, which... It'll be two weekends ago by the time this goes out. It's, it is two weekends ago because today's Monday. So anyway, uh, Mandy, why don't you talk about the baseball game? You guys went to uh, Buffalo. 
We did. It was our uh, Buffalo Bison's bus trip. Uh, I think I had mentioned, I don't know if I had mentioned this, if I, if I did mention it already, you can cut it out. We went to the uh, Buffalo Bison's bus trip. It was our third annual trip to the Bison's game. Uh, at the time, we thought it was only our second annual trip, but then we remembered that we had gone as a small group of friends. We took the delivery van down the first year. Did I tell? Did I talk about all this? Yeah, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Never mind. Um, I'll start again. So the bu- but but the people at home. Well, no, the people at home might not have listened because that was at the end of the last podcast. So that's like an hour and five minutes in. So you, you can tell that. That's fine. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, the first year we went to the Buffalo Bisons road trip, there was actually eight of us in the delivery van, put the seats back in the delivery van and took it down to the game. Mark unfortunately had to drive because uh, he was the only guy insured on the van. Uh, but it was a really fun time because at the Bisons Stadium at Coca-Cola Field in Buffalo, they have awesome craft beer and it's beautiful, real grass stadium. And it's just such a such a great time. You get to see some really awesome rising talent. Um, and many of the players actually end up back and forth on the on the Jays roster throughout the year. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, so that was year one. Year two, we did a 32-passenger bus down to the game. And this year was our largest by far. And I think it's as big as the trip's ever going to be, just so that we can we can make sure we're, we're still having a fun time as organizers and uh, I guess people who are taking care of the trip. Uh, but we took a 56-passenger bus down to the van. But... <laughs> can't talk tonight we took a 56 passenger bus down to the game and uh it was really fun there was a walk-off home run to end the game uh i drank some great beer a saison from resurgence brewery in buffalo uh the head brewer there dave actually went to uh, school with uh, mark both mark and austin in the niagara college brewmaster program uh, it was cool to drink his beer inside the stadium and i had some really great uh half ale which is a a session saison by Brooklyn Brewery. It was delicious. And the highlight of my trip was that I got to meet Daniel Norris uh, and he signed my scorebook. So I was pretty excited about that. His job, uh, he wasn't pitching during the game. So his job for the game was to sit behind the batter uh, and track pitches the entire game, which that was actually what Ricky Romero was doing the year we went down previously. And uh, they, they just seemed pretty miserable. That's not what they're there to do. They wish they were playing baseball, um, but it's cool because they're just right in the stands and you can approach them and sit and talk baseball with them, and in my case, get them to sign my dorky scorebook. So it was a lot of fun. That's amazing. So he, sorry, he's a pitcher, the guy you were talking about. He is, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know what that stuff means. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to keep up. Okay, that's cool. Um, was he impressed with your scoring? Did he think you'd done a good job? He didn't look at it that closely. I think his general impression was just, man, this girl's a pretty big dork. But that's okay, because it's, it's the truth. But <laughs> it was really fun. Really, really fun. It was a, we had such a gr- good group of uh, passengers. It didn't get out of hand at all, and we made it back and forth across the border, which is the thing that I get the most anxiety about. Um, and it was a lot of fun. That we didn't completely trash the bus. So I think the bus company will have us back. Um, so it was great. Tons of fun. That's fantastic. Yeah. How's uh, your can trip? I ask you a, a, well, I was going to ask you a technical oh. question. Yeah, first. yeah. Go ahead. It's about scoring the game. Okay. What 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 do you use? Do you use a pencil or a pen? That is a funny question. I use a, I use a pencil generally. I have this really cool, and this sounds super dorky. I have this really cool mechanical pencil that I use, um, and it allows me to erase mistakes when I have make mistakes throughout the game. But I, my pencil had no lead in it during the Bison's game, so I had to use a pen. And there's all these like scratched out things. I think it gives it a bit more charm though using a pen. So I may switch to that altogether. That's interesting. And so that's exactly what I was wondering. And between like mistakes and like changed calls on like 
fielder's choices or whatever. I know that that stuff can happen, but, uh, but here's an interesting side note to think about as, as you're doing it. And I guess it's less important because you're not creating so much as you're just kind of following along. But um, I remember hearing this really interesting concept about as kind of most sort of creative mediums become more and more and more digitized, uh, the world kind of loses an element of the process. Because like if you would look back on a manuscript that, you know, a writer, you know, even 50 years ago would have written, it would have been hard copy. It might have even been in pen, but it at least would have been on a typewriter. And those copies would have exactly that scratched out things and sections removed and notes made in the margin. And you could kind of watch the process grow as they did this. And, uh, and, and, you know, on a computer, if you're writing, which is where most people would write these days, um, you know, if you need to change something, you just delete it and you put it in the new. And so by the time the, the draft has been edited, you know, a lot of that, that narrative that would have gone with it is gone because it's just been deleted. There's no, there's no reference of it having been there. So I'm a big proponent of sort of the more permanent style of penning things in and then crossing them out or whatever. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you did that this time. That's, that's important. Yeah. And you know what? It's something, it's something I may continue doing. Cause I, I don't know. I'd always loved having a perfect scorebook, which is why I would erase things and um, it would just look, it would have the perfect score at the end of the game and all the, the calls were completely accurate and all the plays were completely accurate and you, you wouldn't be able to see, except for the parts where I had really like erased right through the paper, you would be able to see where where changes had been made. Um, but I think there's a certain charm to it with some of my scratched out uh, scratched out calls or changed plays, that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I may stick with the pen. I agree wholeheartedly. That's a that's a winner for me. So, uh, so my trip, by the way, getting back to that because you did ask and I sidetracked with a ridiculous question about your writing utensil of choice. Uh, I had a great time. I had a fantastic time. So again, for anybody who maybe didn't know what was going on, I got asked by um, a, a company, PR company representing Ontario Southwest like travel something or other, to uh, go and do a little tour around London and Sarnia um, to uh, write a blog post, take some photos, do some social media stuff. It's called like an influencer program. I'm, I'm apparently an influencer, which means that I'm influencing you right now. Uh, while you're listening at home, go to Ontario Southwest. Anyway, uh, so I went down and it was fantastic. I drove down Saturday morning, first thing, and I spent uh, sort of the afternoon, evening in London. And that was great. They have a really charming little uh, market called Coventry Gardens Market, which is similar to St. Lawrence, certainly a bit smaller, but uh, equally nice. And so I hung out around there and Forked River and uh, Toboggan Brewing, both are in London, and I visited both of them, and that was fantastic. Um, two quite different uh, setups, different breweries, but both doing some pretty cool things. As an aside, uh, Forked River just actually won gold for their, I think it was their uh, English bitter or something category at the CBAs. So, uh, hey, Forked River, congratulations, guys. Nice work. Uh, I'm just scrolling through here because I'm actually looking things up as I go. See if I can find it. There it is. Uh, English style pale ale. They oh they run they won for their Riptide Rye Pale Ale, which is great. I was drinking it and it was really nice. And it was funny. The uh, one of the brewers there was saying they'd been asked to send some along, which is always an indication that you know you might be getting something. And indeed, they won gold, so that's fantastic news for them. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was really good. And then of course I went to hang out with Milos, and that was wonderful. I met actually uh, a 
friend of mine there who's from the area. He's not from the area. He's from Scarborough, but he lives in the area. So we had some beers together with Milos and just talked. And it's funny, my my friend uh, works in radio. He works uh, at a talk radio station in London. And uh, so, like, as soon as he sat down and kind of met Milos, he just naturally kind of goes into interview mode, which was great because it was he was asking things of Milos that it never even really occurred to me to ask. And I learned all these, you know, fascinating little side stories and stuff. We talked about like Milos's garden and all sorts of stuff that just, I don't think naturally would have come up if he hadn't been there. So not only did I get to hang out with a friend, but I also got a bit of insight that I I wouldn't have otherwise had. Um, so that was really cool. Um, the only thing that day was it, uh, it, there was like a crazy apocalyptic thunderstorm. So at that point, that's actually when I timed it. I was at the toboggan brewing for most of that, um, but it was pretty gnarly. I got a pretty wicked shot of the sky and it sort of looks like, you know, the four horsemen are about to ride in. Um, so that was a bit, bit of a downer, a lot of, a lot of rain, but, uh, that was cool. And then, uh, on Sunday I hooked up with a buddy, uh, who also from the area, a different friend. And, uh, we went down to uh, check out Sarnia and we went to Refined Fool, which was really, really cool. That's a a neat brewery. It reminded me a lot, actually, of Five Paddles um, in a lot of ways. But uh, they had some <laughs> pretty wild things on, and the beer was all pretty decent. And it's a neat little space in uh, sort of a. I mean, it's a bit of an industrially kind of feel to the building, but it's still kind of in the, the core of Sarnia. Um, so that was really wild. And then we went to Port Huron because that's what you do when you're near the border. And uh, I discovered the joy of buying beer in the U.S. just going over, telling them, I'm going to go buy some beer, I'm going to have a bite to eat at a place, and then I'm going to come back. And we went over, we each bought a case of beer, we we went to a, a brewery called Thumb Coast, which is in Port Huron, also a very nice little brewery, little brew pub right on the river, I would highly recommend that too. Um, and then we went to we went to Ryan's Party Store, which is indeed where we bought most of the beer, but another place that Paul recommended called Wolverine. And uh, I picked up some cider for Erica there. But it was cool because we got to the border. And, of course, they've scanned you, you know, on the way out. And they've put in what your business is. And so the guy knew we were buying stuff. And he just said, well, what's the value of your goods? And I was like, between the two of us, about 100 bucks. And he was like, cool. Have a good day. Is this, the, uh, is this the first time you've crossed over just to buy beer, like exclusively to buy beer? Yes. I've, I've only ever uh, crossed a border with alcohol when I've actually kind of, I say legally been entitled to, obviously I was legally entitled to here because the customs guy let me, but I had gone with the expectation that I would have to pay, you know, uh, duty, which is like the, I'd have to pay the HST on it. And uh, there's a small fee, I think, uh, like a brokerage fee or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just waved you through. And this, then Paul was telling me, cause he does it, obviously he lives in the area a lot more often. And he said, uh, as long as you don't just go by and come right back, he said, you know, if you're down for a little bit more time, two hours, three hours, he thinks that that helps. And uh, he said, the other thing is this guy didn't even ask for the number of beers, but he was really adamant that he was like, we need to kind of buy in normal beer numbers, even if we're buying bombers or something of an yeah, unusual that's, size. That's our trick too. We do the exact, that's what we do too. The exact same thing. You buy 24 yeah. beers. Yeah, he said the only time he's ever actually had to pay duty was the guy at the border said, how many beers did you buy? And he was like, seven, because he'd bought seven bombers. And the guy was like, seven? And Paul was like, yeah. And he goes, goes what happened to the other five? And Paul was like, no, 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 like they're bombers. They're like saying, and as soon as it became a conversation, the guy was like, pull over here. 
and they had to, you know, go off to the side and he came and had to like inspect it. And at that point you're going to get dinged and, you know, it's only a couple of bucks or whatever. It's not a big deal, but it's, you know, it's more hassle than you need. But yeah, I was amazed. I was like, he was sure of it. He's like, oh yeah, we'll just go. We'll tell them, we'll tell them everything we bought and they'll just flag us through. It's fine. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. You're you're really, you're not supposed to get away with that at all, but you do. It's interesting. He tells me that like literally he's done it dozens of times and it like honest every time, you know, you, he has the receipts ready, you know, he, he tells them exactly what he's bought and he says once he actually had to pay duty and every other time you just sail through. So I think it ends up being a lot more work for them than, uh, than it's worth to, to pull you aside and charge the duty and everything. And if you're just buying in normal quantities, they really don't care that much. Um, Mark yeah, used to sure. do it like every other, almost every other week when he was going to school down in Niagara. Um, we just zip over and grab a bunch oh, of stuff yeah, and I come guess. back. And as long as you have a 12 or two, four and very rarely would they even ask the value. So you'd say, I have 12 beers or 24 beers. And that was the purpose of my trip really was to buy them. You're not really supposed to bring anything back, um, without being there for less than 24 hours. Right. But uh, if you just bring back 12 or 24 beers, it's funny though, cause you'll be, if you bring back 24 beers, um, the value could be like 70, 80, 90, a hundred dollars for 24 beers. So you sort of hope that they don't ask you the value if you're just telling them the quantity. Uh, yeah. that, that would raise some flags. Well, and I will point out, you, you know, you've been saying, you know, you're not supposed to. It's not that you're not supposed to. It's just you're supposed to have to pay duty. Like there's nothing right. yeah. wrong with doing it. You just, you know, you, you get an exemption if you've been traveling for, you know, as you say, at least 24 hours or whatever. Right, um, right. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I at this point, my buddy Josh, he he's heavy into, you know, good beer now. He's, he's really kind of gotten the bug. I think I'm going to tell him in a month or so, you know, hey, man, why don't, why don't we shoot down to Buffalo? Like, it's like an hour and a half. It's nothing, you know? Be fantastic. I'm, I'm stoked now. I want to do this all the time. I think it's yeah, great. we've made that trip on occasion. We'll be like, what do you want to do tonight on a on a Wednesday night back when we didn't used to have to man the shop? And we're like, <laughs> let's go to Buffalo and buy some beer. It's just like a fun road trip. You can zip off and grab some great pizza on the way or whatever. It's, it's a fun time. It's good. Yeah, I thought it was dope. So what are you drinking um, tonight, Chris, then? Do you have some American craft beer in front of you? You know what's funny? I don't. I do. Like, it, it could be in front of me. It's up in my fridge. But I opted. I've got two bottles pulled out that, to be honest with you, um, I, I've just been trying to figure out the right thing to do with them is what it comes down to. And uh, I thought, especially this first one, this this was this was it. This was the one. So I'm actually drinking a Lake of Bays, one of their uh, NHL alumni series beers. And it's the most recent one, which is called Chelly's Pale Ale. And of course, this is for Chris Chelios. But it's interesting because it's an oak-aged pale ale, and it's big. It's like 7%. Like, I would be more inclined to call it an oak-aged IPA. But uh, but it's interesting. I mean, it's pretty oaky. And, and it, I don't know. I'm just... Uh, you know, this is the kind of thing I really should do beforehand, but I'm just reading here. It doesn't say what kind of oak it was in. Uh, so my suspicion, and, and this is a guess, and hey, Lake of Bays, go ahead and let me know what the deal is. My suspicion is this had like oak chips put into it for the oak aging. I don't think this was barreled. It certainly doesn't taste like a spirit to me. It just tastes pretty oaky. Um but it's interesting. It's nice. Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely getting uh, some spicy kind of hoppiness to it. And uh, uh, it's sort of a biscuity malt. I like it. And and then, yeah, a, a notable sort of fresh, inky taste to it. So it's pretty smooth. Um, 
Yeah, I, I dig it. It definitely, the one thing that concerns me is it is in a 750 mil bottle and it's 7% and it really doesn't feel like I'm drinking a 7% beer. So I'm about halfway through the bottle and we started recording 21 minutes ago. So that's, this could get interesting, but, uh, but yeah, I really like this a lot. So, uh, so cheers to Lake of Bays. Nice work guys. What about you? What are you drinking? That's, you said you'd already opened it. That sounds really good. I'm, uh, drinking a naughty neighbor Ooh. by Nickelbrook. And I know we'll get to a little bit later, but just the, uh, American, Pale Ale versus Ontario Pale Ale conversation that's been brought up this week. Um, or just, I guess, the, the hate for Ontario Pale Ales. I ran out to the uh, to the LCBO and picked up. Actually, it's the second time I've done this in, a, in a, the past couple of months. Just ran out to the LCBO and pick up every Pale Ale I can find. Taste them as closely together as possible without getting drunk sort of thing. Just uh, share them with others and taste all the Pale Ales side by side to try to figure out what I love and don't love in certain pale ales, but I thought I would start with this one because it's the, uh, as Ben Johnson would call it, hop juice. It's the closest thing to hop juice I can think of in Ontario. And it's a style that I, it's a style that I love. If I'm reaching for a pale ale, I'm usually reaching for a pretty hop forward pale ale or an American style pale ale. Um, so that's where I started and I, I'm kind of digging their new, uh, the new cans that Nickelbrook has out there. Yeah. So they're meant to, that's a- yeah, they're meant to look a little bit like a chalkboard. They're using the matte finish. Um, it's pretty fun. I like it. Their, their branding has gotten a lot more consistent than what it had been. It's going to be exciting to watch what happens with them and their new facility over the next little while. Yeah. They're, I mean, it's fantastic what they're doing out there. Uh, and it's funny. I mean, you know, I think, I think Nickelbrook's kind of hitting their stride the way that Amsterdam kind of did a couple of years back and Great Lakes maybe did shortly before that, where they've made, they've made that transition, you know, from, well, for Nickelbrook's sake, like Green Apple Pilsner or whatever, to these really good beers. We put um, Headstock IPA on at Castro's, uh, I guess, two or three weeks ago. Um, we'd, we'd done a little experiment with Nickelbrook. We'd, uh, we'd started doing two of their sodas on draft because we thought that was a pretty dope idea. Um, and while we really dug it, they just didn't move very much. And we kind of mutually agreed that it would be better for everybody if we were selling beer on those lines instead of soda. So we uh, we started by yanking the uh, the ginger beer. You can still get the Nickelbrook ginger beer in bottles, but we pulled it off draft and we put the uh, the Headstock IPA on. And uh, man, it is something. Like I've had the cans obviously numerous times, but that's one of those IPAs for me that I just. Oh man, I could crush those on draft. I don't know what it is, but it just sparkles on draft. So it's fantastic. I'm a, it's I'm a big fan. But. Some kind of yummy. I'm also mm. obsessed right now with packaging dates. I don't know why. I've mm-hmm. always known that packaging dates are important. Drinking beer fresh is important. I've always known that, but for something lately, it just has gotten me obsessed with packaging dates. And I looked at the bottom of the can when I was in the LCBO and I saw that this uh, naughty neighbor was packaged on June 2nd, which was six days ago. So I'm like, that's going to be some kind of delicious. I need more of that in my belly. Yes, that is fantastic. Although I would like to point out that it would be more satisfying if it said canned on, but uh, that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know what I love doing? And and this is... Making fun of me? I do love that too. Uh, But no, I was going to say, and you know this because you've been there when I've done this, but one of my favorite things in the world to do 
is to magically like through some sort of you know you know the how they you know they wonder about sea turtles right like how do they get back to the the, the beach right because they go so far and they always come back to the same place right and they think there's something about the magnetics and this is one of the things like the baby sea turtles when they when they're born if if they don't crawl down the beach their navigation gets all screwed up and they never make it back and so they think that something about that trip down the beach is like lining themselves up magnetically with like I don't know it's it's very scientific and clearly I don't understand it but but I think I have something like that because I turn up at Amsterdam an unnaturally high percentage of the time when they're canning bone shaker. Now, they make more bone shaker than anything else now. So, I mean, it's statistically more probable, I suppose, that I turn up on bone shaker day than any other. But I mean, I would guess like over 75% of the time when I drop by to see Cody or Ian or whoever, or sometimes even just like I'm just going to the retail store to buy some stuff. And, and frequently I'll see Cody or whoever and he'll kind of like, he he has like some funny expressions of you know annoyance seeing me that uh, are quite sweet and charming and uh, and it's because it's Bone Shaker Day and he's like you just always know and uh, one of my favorite things is when they grab me a can of Bone Shaker that's just been crimped so it's like Bright Tank can crimp off the line hand to Chris like often it isn't even rinsed yet it's still sticky on the outside with beer. And uh, cracking that bad boy open and just, you're basically drinking it straight out of the bright tank. And uh, that is divine, spectacularly divine. It only gets better if you are drinking it from the, directly from the fermenter. It's the only way it gets any better. But it, that, that's the best way to drink beer. At least that style of beer. It's awesome. Yeah. Like the, the freshest, fresh, fresh, fresh you can get. It's, it's shocking how good it is. It was actually so gratifying this, uh, this week, just to finish on that point this week, we, uh, we were canning EFIS or our brown ale and, uh, we had LCBO deliveries going out that day, but we had zero EFIS cans left in the fridge. We had been short for about three days. And so we were taking them directly off the, the canning line and loading them into the van. They were still, they were still wet. Like there was still some moisture on the cases we were sending them out into the stores, and I knew for a fact that the stores had zero EFIS cans on their shelves because uh, they had been waiting for a couple of days to get the order, and they were really slammed on the weekend. And so it was so gratifying to see the beer that was canned that very morning was on the shelf within like two hours. It was probably the freshest beer on those shelves. So it was it was really cool to think of that being uh, being such fresh beer, which is probably why I'm so obsessed with the packaging dates right now. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wicked. Uh, so this is a good segue into, I, I had this note, uh, said, what is the best 416 slash 905 produced beer we've had recently? That That's, I, we, I'm writing in the kind of group tense here, but uh, so I'm going to go first and talk about the best 416 slash 905 produced beer I've had recently. Um, I, you know, it's... What's funny, like I have what I said, I, I made a little, we make little notes for each other in our show notes, but um, I, I was going to try and have like two or three just so it didn't sound too much like a teamy pile on. But uh, honestly, one of the the tops for me uh, in the past, say like three weeks was Sunlight Park, which of course Mandy and Mark make at left field. It, I don't know if, you know, distance made my heart grow fonder or if it's just a bit tighter or a bit different or I don't know what this year, but man, like 
I, I drink a lot of Saison. And when I homebrew, I generally make Saisons because that's kind of what I dig. And there are certain things about certain Saisons that I like in terms of dryness and maybe a touch of sort of tartness off the yeast or whatever. I like my spice, but I don't want it like peppermill. I generally like my Saisons with something. Like a straight Saison's good, but I like it when a Saison has something added to it. And the grapefruit peel on that is just just right. Like, oh, it, it's good, good, good. I just want it in cans now. So if you guys could get on that, that'd be fantastic. That would be, I would, I would buy that by the, the flat, I think. Attention folks, this, uh, this podcast is not sponsored by Love Field Brewery, as much as it may sound that way. That's nice. That's really cool of you to say, Grissa. I'm glad you're digging it. And it's, uh, we, it's, we've had a hard time keeping Sunlight Park going this summer just because it's been, uh, it's been so it's been so well received, and I think the team at the brewery is probably drinking more of it than anyone else because we're we're all just really digging it. We're <laughs> we're, we're really really enjoying it. Um, and last year after we after we brewed it, we thought, man, maybe we should keep this as a, a year round beer that we make. And we sort of made the decision to let it go away for a little while, and then we'll bring it back. Um, and I, th- I think it's a good decision that we made, just because it. I don't know. I think there is a, an element of that like distance makes the heart grow fonder that you mentioned. Um, and it's just so seasonally appropriate, right? Like the weather's warming up and you want something that's a little bit more, um, tart and refreshing and that beer really, really does it. Um, but yeah, Saison says a style in general is something, it, that's all I want to drink at this time of year. If it's not the, uh, the hop juice I'm drinking now, it's the, <laughs> that's all I really want is Saison's. It was actually Black Oak that turned me on to them actually. Yeah, me too. Same deal. The Black Oak Summer Saison was like, Maybe, but at least certainly the first saison I can remember having and uh, just having, being completely, having my kind of my assumptions kind of turned on their ear. I thought it was fantastic. So, Okay, your turn. This is good too because you, you actually made a note that you, uh, you didn't know what you were going to say here. So hopefully you've got something good in your back pocket. Oh yeah, I've really been working on it since we did the show notes and I've come up with the fact that I honestly don't really get to drink very many other beers that aren't mine that aren't left field beers these days. Like the honest to goodness truth is we are at the brewery at least 12 hours a day, if not longer, seven days a week. Um, and so there are rare occasions where I get to scoot up to the LCBO and pick up a bunch of other beers and taste them back at the shop with the team. Um, but I'm going to say 95% of what I'm drinking these days is our own beer. And that's a habit I need to, we need to snap out of. Uh, and so tonight before the show, I, I ran down to the, the LCBO and I grabbed a Naughty Neighbor and I grabbed a Collingwood Downhill Pale Ale, um, just as sort of two very separate examples of the, the Pale Ale style um, and both beers that I enjoy very, very much. And I, I knew they would be fresh and delicious and that the quality would be there and that I would love them. So those would be two examples of something that I'm, I'm really, really digging. I guess neither of them are terribly, terribly new examples of beer or new beers that I'm digging, but they're just really good go-to staples for me. The Collingwood's fairly new, right? I mean... Yeah, I guess new-ish. I can't really think of when, how long they've been around. I, I, I think it's been just a little over a year, actually. I was, I was going to say, I think it's about a year. So, you're, I mean, you're right. It's not, it's not a brand new beer by any standard, but they're, uh, they're, they're new-ish. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. We just got those cans in at Castro's. Um, so, I mean, I don't know 
people listening to this, how much you know people in the scene, but uh, you know our good friend Nick McNamara, who for at least that killer name, Nick McNamara, it's just so fun to say, uh, but he was a friendly Irishman around the scene, and uh, he's been writing about and interested in beer for quite a while, and uh, he started working with Collingwood, which is fantastic. Another, uh, another retired accountant, actually. And uh, so he is working with them, and he gave me a buzz and said, you know, are, are you interested in some cans? I said, yeah, I would love some. So they dropped them off, and they have been moving uh, pretty well. We've actually been pleasantly surprised at how much we've been moving uh, Ontario cans, which is, uh, I know that sounds kind of crazy to say, given sort of our beery centric uh, reputation, but uh, you know, our draft and cask has always done really well, but we've always found in, in the, the package in the cans, just a lot of the, a lot of the beach people, I guess, who sort of come in because we're cool and local as opposed to a, you know, hip craft place. Uh, we'd be getting a lot of sort of European lagers and stuff in cans. And we've been kind of trimming the fat there, pulling a lot of those away. And uh, as well, I think people who are coming in uh, just seem more open now if they're craft beery type folks to to go after a can where maybe they didn't used to be so much. So uh, we've been selling a lot. And yeah, the, the Collingwood's been going really well. I uh, When was it? It wasn't last week. It must have been two weeks ago I had one. And I I was, yeah, I thought it was good. It was solid. I uh, It's you know, as we've now alluded to at least once, we're going to be kind of talking about some of this in Ontario pale ales. Uh, I definitely wouldn't put the Collingwood in that category of sort of, you know, middling uh, pale ales. I thought I thought it was pretty good. So you aren't on that yet, though, right? No, You're I'm not. I'm yet. not at all saying. Yeah, we'll get to that. But I'm not at all implying that it's a middle of the road pale ale. I just think it is probably more representative of that style of an Ontario type pale ale. Uh, yeah, um, I meant you're not on it. Like you're not drinking it yet, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm going to get to it. I'm not, I don't have too much of my hop juice left. Um, but Collingwood, since we were on Collingwood talking about them, they actually won three Canadian Brewing Awards, which is awesome, given that they're a brewery, like you said, I think they're about a year old. Uh, and the head brewer there, and I think one of the owners, Chris Freeman, went to, uh, was also a, a graduating member of the inaugural Niagara College class um, with Mark and Austin and Dave that I referred to earlier. Um, so it's just cool to see him doing his thing up there in Collingwood. And he has a beautiful, shiny new brewery and he just makes such awesome beers and his three CBAs, I guess, kind of prove that. So uh, yeah. way to go, Collingwood. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm just looking here. They've uh, uh, they got bronze for the Vintage Ale, their 2014 Vintage Ale. And that was under uh, Special Honey slash Maple Lager or Ale. Uh, I'm just scrolling through. Do, 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 do. Where are you guys? The list is quite long. If they won uh, Silver for the Fire... Silver for their Fireside ESB, ESB yep. which is an absolutely delicious and beer. And Saison. I think they've just moved it from bottles into the cans as well. Yep. And then, and yeah, Silver for the Saison. Well. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, actually, and, and I won't solve this tonight, but it's funny. The other bottle that I, I threw in the fridge for this uh, podcast, if I get to it, is their Saison de Nuit. Uh, which I'm not sure if that's a different Saison or not, but if it is a different Saison, you have to assume they know what they're doing with Saisons because they, uh, yeah, they're silver <laughs> in CBAs, which is pretty impressive. So that's uh, that's exciting for them. I'm, I'm stoked to see that. I actually also have a bottle of the ESB. Uh, wow, two silvers. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, but I'm, I'm holding off on that one. I actually want to do a proper full-on blog review of that. So 
get some photos and do the audio and that whole thing, which is not a short process. I can't really do it while I'm podcasting. So, so that's good for them. Um, I'm totally lost now though. Uh, da -da 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 -da. let's go like this. So, and, and, and here's a, a really solid link up. Good throw. Your naughty neighbor. You're still drinking it. You got some in the glass or are you drinking I it do. in a can? In the glass. Always the glass. Could you read words through it? Is it, is it clear or no. is it cloudy? It's a little cloudy. No words? Yeah? Hold on. I'm going to actually properly do it and hold up some words before I assume that I can't read words. Well, there's no also... words can be read through this beer. You have to allow for the distortion no, of the glass. And, but okay, so it's cloudy enough. It's not wheat beer cloudy, right? But it's... It ain't clear. Not clear, that's for sure. I'm going to take a look at my my Chelly's Pale Ale. I'm uh, just making sure I don't have any condensation on the glass. I've got this... Speaking of things that sound like I were sponsored by, but we're not, man, these Spiegel glasses are just fantastic. This is a little cloudy. Um, I think I could read words through it. I'm looking at my computer screen. Well, again, the distortion on this glass is a bit ridiculous because it's got the crazy quasi-sexual ribbing to the base. And There we go. I got words. I got it through the, the bell of it. I just find this interesting. Wait a minute. The, yeah, can I, I change can my words. answer? Yes. Can I change my answer? I can read words through mine, yes. but it's a bit cloudy. Okay, so mine's a bit cloudy too. It's I would not define that beer as brilliant. It's not brilliantly clear. And yours isn't brilliantly clear? No, absolutely not. Okay. For those of you who don't know what the hell we're talking about, um, bless you, because you didn't have to go through sort of a bit of a back and forth and whatever. There's been talk on both sides of it. But uh, our, our friend Stephen Beaumont wrote, uh, and I think a fairly balanced art article on uh, cloudy beer uh, for the Globe and Mail. Uh, my biggest qualm is that Stephen Beaumont wrote an article for the Globe and Mail and I didn't. So anytime somebody does something like that, I just feel annoyed because you know, Globe and Mail, that's huge. Good on you. But anyway, I digress. Uh, <laughs> talking about cloudy beer and... So there's kind of two sides to the equation. On the one hand, traditionalists, and particularly English and German traditionalists, would say that with the exception of a few beers, like Weiss beer, uh, Wit, which is also a wheat beer, really any wheat beer, uh, I suppose some Saisons, um, beer should be very, very, very clear. Like, like, very clear. And... There's this whole school of thought about like the quality of the brewing because blah, 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 blah. If you're good at what you do, it's not cloudy and so on and so forth. There's also some stuff about the fact that like cloudiness can you know involve bacteria and junk like that. On the other hand, you have uh, a whole school of thought that says, no, like those cloudy particles sometimes can be bad, but also are little pockets of flavor. And if you remove them, you're stripping away some of the flavor. And I think it's fair to say that, for one, we're, I mean, we're going to discuss this. I don't think either one of us is going to win an entire crowd. Um, but I think it's interesting to discuss, especially because Mandy works in a brewery 
that produces not a few pretty clear beers, if I may say so. So I'm going to pass that over to Miss Mandy Murphy to discuss her take on clear versus cloudy beer, both the ones that she makes and the ones that she drinks. I think there were some impl- I I agree that the article was actually fairly fairly balanced and I like to see both sides represented, but I I think there were some implications by some quoted in the article. I don't think they were Beaumont's uh, thoughts himself, but there was there were some implications that cloudy beer could imply that the beer has been rushed and I could I could see where that thought comes from. The longer we leave beer sitting in the conditioning tanks at least in our brewery, the more clear it becomes uh, and then regardless of whether or not we're going to filter the beer, um, just the, the longer it's had to age, the more clear it's going to be. Uh, but just because a beer is cloudy doesn't mean that it has been rushed. Um, it's something, at least for us, that we're taking a lot of a lot of care with and we're making sure that we're not rushing beer through the system just to get it out the door. We need to make sure that it's done properly. Um, it also doesn't, it doesn't mean that there's any laziness on behalf of the brewery or the brewer um, in not, not wanting to filter the beer. Like, we... We brew certain styles that are cloudy and we brew certain styles that are brilliantly clear or at least fairly clear. Um, but I think the most important thing to note is that the, for many small breweries, um, just because a beer is cloudy doesn't necessarily mean that there is going to be bacteria in the beer that will cause problems with that beer. Um, or I guess the other way around, the, the, other, the other way of saying it would be just because a beer is brilliantly clear doesn't mean that it's free from that bacteria. So unless as a brewery you're using a two-step filtration process or you're using a sterile filtration process, clear beer is not free from bacteria. Uh, and I think at least for a brewery of our size, and we're a fairly small brewery, um, clear is really just about the appearance of the beer uh, and really doesn't necessarily relate to, to the bacteria uh, that could be in it or any potential problems that would come up in the beer. So I don't know if I've explained myself properly there, but I, I generally uh, believe that cloudy beer and brilliantly clear beer are fairly equal uh, and that it's really dependent on style for how you choose to present that beer to the public Uh, and I think consistency is the most important thing so if you've decided that a beer should look a certain way it should taste a certain way you need to continuously put the beer to market that way and that's really all that all there is to it yeah I actually yeah I, I especially your I mean I agree with what you're saying. And, and I mean, this is part of the reason why I kind of wanted you to do the podcast with me is because I think you bring a, a really, you know, good level of experience and, and perspective uh, to the table. So that's awesome. I, I and, and I will put out there, <laughs> I'm also in the not, not a problem with the cloudy beer uh, camp. Um, and it's funny, I actually just as you were talking, pulled up the article uh, and I'm looking it over again. And I think it's funny because I think like a lot of the accusatory talking um, and even, well, so I mean like the, one of the people uh, that he says, Donut says is is in the anti cloudy uh, camp is Michael Lewis. Who's this is, (laughs) I'm about to step on some big toes here. He's a professor emeritus of brewing science at the university of California at Davis I'm going to put out there that it is obvious Michael Lewis has a lot more experience than me when it comes to brewing. A lot, a lot more. But uh, he says, quality beer has always been clear. 
and he notes that there are a multitude of ways in which to achieve clear clarity without sacrificing flavor, from proper maturation of the beer to findings that pull his and using elements out, blah, 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 uh, various forms of filtration, even the use of centrifuges. But here's an interesting thing, and, and, and like, I think there's a couple of different ways I would kind of attack this argument to try and, and set up a, a pro-cloudy uh, stance. But his point that quality beer has always been clear and that you can achieve clarity without sacrificing flavor, I would really question his second point. He's right. Historically, beer has generally, at least in the more recent years, been been clear. It's fairly recent that people have been confident enough in their brewing to let like an IPA come out hazy because it, it had a, a huge amount of hops added late. But achieving clarity without sacrificing flavor, I mean, if you've done more than maybe one steam whistle tour, or if you've gone to an event that they're pouring like their Oktoberfest or whatever, you will have come across their unfiltered beer. It's sometimes they call it steam whistle plus. So there's historically it's been called a few different things, but it's basically steam whistle out of the fermenter, not out of the bright tank. So it hasn't been filtered. And I don't know if they still do steam whistle, correct me if I'm wrong, but certainly they were using DE uh, filtration, which is diatomaceous earth or however you say it, um, which is a very fine filtering process. Like it's, it's a very effective filter. But the reason why they even bother serving this unfiltered one is because they note it's a bit different. It's It's got a bit more body. It's The taste is in some ways a little bit fuller. That's not to say that the filtered version is bad or worse or anything like that. It's just that there's a difference. So this sort of assumption that sort of stated with no question that you can do it without sacrificing flavor. Well, you can set out to achieve a beer and hit your target, making it clear, but that doesn't mean that it wouldn't taste different or maybe, you know, uh, subjectively better if you hadn't clarified it so aggressively. The point that a cloudy beer can be the mark of poor brewing, well, yeah, of course it can be, especially if it was something that somebody was clearly setting out to make clear and it came out cloudy. Okay, there's obviously a problem here. Um, but this or, idea Chris, that- I would even inter I, I would even interject and, and add to that and say when a, a beer is intended to be cloudy and it comes out murky, and I think that might be the distinction that we're talking about here because that is a that is an indication of poor practices. Like that just shouldn't happen. Right. I, I, I agree with that entirely. I've got a really horrifically painful story of one time at Castro's early in our cask program. Uh, actually it was for a, not a launch quite, but like an early event we did. Uh, we had the, the cask, all four engines going and I'd thrown a firkin on the bar and, uh, I think the firkin was hopping mad from the granite. I can't imagine what Ron... I think I've told Ron the story, come to think of it, but this is like the kind of thing that brewers just have nightmares about. And the event went really well, and before I left, I was living about three minutes away at the time. Before I left, uh, I, I the firkin had been emptied. And obviously, I just left it there because it kind of looked cool, and I'm also lazy, so I'd left it there. And, uh, I, I went home, it was probably about seven 30 and had dinner with, uh, we just had the one kid at the time. So my wife and, and Ben and, uh, once Ben was in bed and Erica was like, you know, chill, whatever. I was like, I'm going to head back to the bar and just kind of do some cleaning up, make sure everything's okay. And when I got back to the bar, two of the people who'd been at the event were still there and they both had pint glasses of what looked like 
well, I mean, what it looked like was yeast, and that's what it was. It was, it wasn't cloudy, it wasn't murky, it was like thick. And I, I knew them. I mean, I would have said it to anybody, but I knew them well enough to be like, "What the hell are you actually drinking in my bar right now?" And they were like, "Oh, some of the hopping mad." And I was like, "No, the hopping mad's been out for like three and a half hours." And they were like, "No, no, there's still plenty left. We got some more out of it." So what they had done was tilted up the cask and drained the the sediment that had settled out in the bottom of the cask, which of course was a mix of yeast and flocculated hop protein on probably finings because I'm pretty sure Ron uses Isinglass. So this stuff was like, you probably could have stood a pen in it. It was so thick and so disgusting. And I was just like, you guys are going to be so sick tomorrow drinking that. Like the yeast alone is going to ruin you for a day. But anyway, they did it and it was horrible. That was murky beer. That was horrible. People shouldn't serve that sort of stuff. But I so mean, that, in terms that was another exactly that's another point that I that I had that I wanted to bring to this conversation is that it's the brewery's responsibility to supply consistent beer to the market. It, it's all about flavor, whether or not you and it's all about appearance, whether or not you decide to filter your beer. But if you are sending unfiltered beer to the market and you do get those first few pours off of a keg um, as a server or a bartender that are a little bit murkier than how it should be because the yeast proteins have settled to the bottom of the keg. That should not be sent out. So it's just as much about server education as it is the brewery providing quality beer that's not murky. But that that should never go out to the table, ever. It should no. never go out. No. My understanding was these fellows, because it was sitting on the bar kind of off to the side where people would also pay their debit, I think they just convinced the server to let them have a go at trying to get more out. And she was probably so fed up with them that she just let them do whatever. And uh, what came out was disgusting. But uh, never heard how that turned out for them. But uh, but yeah, no, in terms of cloudiness as well, I'll also say this. I mean, Bone Shaker is cloudy. It's not, it's not hazy. It's, it's just got some color to it, um, but it's definitely not clear. And it's actually interesting. Amsterdam uh, recently put in a centrifuge, and I think they're centrifuging Bone Shaker, but it still comes out a bit hazy because there's just a ton of hops in it. Like, like a violent amount of hops are added in dry hop. And... You could clarify that, but the balance then becomes the, that whole freshness factor that we're talking about, and how long do you keep it in bright to get it to clarify? Um, so anyway, I am all for cloudy beers when they're properly made, and it's interesting. I mean, some of what's talked about in the article is is this idea that that hazy beer isn't necessarily bad, but it often can be a bad thing, and I think. To some extent, that's probably true. I mean, as we've now discussed, there are a few examples of times when, you know, not just hazy, but downright, you know, gank, thick beer is problematic. But uh, I think this assumption that, like, unless it's a wheat beer, it shouldn't be hazy is ridiculous. And then I had this interesting idea. I still haven't, uh, I still haven't actually written this one down. I've, I've, spending a lot of time doing a lot of other things. I haven't really been able to write much for myself, which actually kind of makes me sad. But uh, I reached out to a friend of mine, actually a server at Castro's, who's a pretty cool chick. Um, and frequently I get her to uh, edit things for me because she's really, really smart and also um, like a human dictionary. And um, it's funny because I get 
I, I like words and I'm really protective of some words. As noted in the last podcast, I kind of went on a tear about the fact that one of my arguments about the definition of craft is that craft should be implicit in how the beer is made, period, as opposed to a whole bunch of other things. And we can get back into that or whatever. We don't have to. But but that it's about, you know, taking this word that has a, a much vaster meaning. Is vaster a word? Broader, I think, mm. meaning. Mm-hmm. And uh, Romley would be freaking out right now. Um <laughs> But that they that they're kind of co-opting the word, and uh, but Romley uh, has this point about English, and I think it applies to the hazy beer. So I'll read you the what she emailed or texted me, and then tie it in. But uh, she says this is about English. Remember, claims about the bastardization of the English language have been made at virtually every point in its history, from the Norman Conquest to the internet shorthand that permeates our language today. To insist on strict adherence to the rules of the English language is to ignore the history of inventive mutation that makes it unique. Her point, and and it's one that uh, is, is, I guess, pretty valid, and certainly by having looked into it, because I desperately wanted to prove her wrong, seeming to be pretty consistent with people who are sort of at the forefront of this sort of thing, is that English, by its very nature, is this very liquid thing. And that there's definitely a firm middling area where... It's there are generally accepted things that are sort of, you know, fact or whatever. But um, for instance, one of the points, and it's it's one of these things that it used to sort of be nails on a chalkboard, but with a bit of like sort of, you know, mental work and like personal counseling. No, not that bad, but I've kind of gotten over. But, um, you know, the, the misuse of the word literally, right? People say like, you know, literally when what they're meaning is trying to add like hyperbole to a statement but literally obviously has a literal meaning and it's tied up right there. Um, and, and it, it really pisses people off, right? When they say like, it was literally a thousand degrees out. Well, no, it wasn't literally a thousand degrees out. You just mean that it was very hot. If it were literally a thousand degrees out, you'd be dead because you would have cooked. But what's interesting is some of the earliest usages of literally in that context go back like 200 years. Like this is an old thing that people have been doing. Mark Twain did it. He used literally as a form of hyperbole. Completely inaccurately, completely wrongly. And so while, you know, nitpicks like piss and moan on internet forums about the usage of the word literally, actual people who apparently know what they're talking about with language generally let that kind of thing go. I'm not talking about editors here. I'm not talking about newspaper people. These are the sort of nitpicks who get annoyed by that sort of stuff. But apparently the people who 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 are like scholarly about this junk, this is the kind of thing where they're like, that's what happens with English. Words change. The meanings of words change. Very few people today use the word gay, meaning happy. They generally mean of you know, an alternative sexuality generally pertaining to uh, a same-sex couple, often male, but not exclusively. So that word has changed. You could nitpick it and say, no, I still want it to mean happy all you want. The reality of English is that it's changed, and that word now means it has a different value than it used to have. So Chris, how does that relate to uh, beer styles? I was about to say, this relates (laughs) because... We are in a time, particularly in North America, where beer styles change. I bet people cried bloody murder when Sierra Nevada brought out their pale ale, especially English people who were like, that's not a pale ale. 
I know what a pale ale is and I can tell you exactly what it tastes like. And that's not what it tastes like. And Sierra Nevada went, I don't really care. It tastes good. We're going to do it. We're going to run with it. It's now like one of the most prevalent styles in North America, right? The, the nature of it's changed so much so now that now we call it an American style pale ale. We've kind of cordoned it off and not allowed the original pale ale to be changed. But that's that's inherent in the way we do business. It's the same. There are a stack of styles. IPA, obviously, Russian Imperial Stout, Barley Wine. These all now have North American counterparts that are different. They run with the same name, sometimes prefixed with the word American or North American. But the, the point is, it's changed. And so this strict adherence that like, oh, to be good brewing, it has to be clear. It can't be hazy. Well, you know what? No. If you want to be stodgy and cling on to the past and not allow growth, hey, cool, that's your thing. Maybe you want to be a really traditional brewery. No problem. Go ahead and do that. But to suggest that people who bring out hazy beers are somehow screwing up, no, actually they're not. I would say they're innovating, except they're not even really innovating now because it's so common. A little while ago, they were the innovators. They were the people saying, no, it's fine. I don't care if my IPA is hazy. It tastes delicious. If I, if I clarified it, it wouldn't taste the way I wanted it to. So I'm not going to. And I think that's fantastic. And if you don't like it, don't drink it. So this is my thinking. This is actually the base of my thinking on hazy beer. And, and I try hard now, especially with words as well, to be a little bit more open-minded to the idea that there is fluidity to this stuff and that that's part of the growth is that when you're at that front edge, there will be people telling you you're doing it wrong. And maybe they're right. The only way you can find out is let history play out. But a lot of the time, the people who are told, no, you're doing that wrong, in fact, turn out to be doing it right because they just make it the right thing. And so I think that's the nature with hazy beer. And I like some of my beers hazy for sure. Even this delicious pale ale, which is definitely still a little hazy. So that's where I'm at on hazy beer. Yeah, I'm Did totally I tie it in you. okay? Yeah, you tied it in okay. It was a little long, but you tied it in okay. Um, I'm totally with, I love Ian's quote in the, uh, Ian Macustro, the brewmaster of Amsterdam. I love his quote in the article, taste rules at all. If you enjoy the flavor, does it matter if it's hazy or not? I don't know if it does. And I, I agree with him 100%. And to that, I would also add consistency so that if you're getting the first pour off of a keg and your friend just had the last pour off of the same keg and you're out dining or drinking at an establishment together, it should, it should look exactly the same, um, wherever possible. I think if, if it tastes great and it's consistent, there's really not much more that matters. Let's uh, let's talk a bit more about pale ale, and let's talk about our friend and now London resident. I didn't actually run into him in London because he was at the cottage apparently. But uh, man about town, if London town be your town, Ben Johnson, who wrote an article entitled "The Ontario Pale Ale and Why I Hate It." That's an inflammatory title if ever there was one. Uh, do you want me to, to, to recap this or do you want to take it? Uh, yeah, yeah, go for it. I'll jump in. Okay. So Ben's point is that, oh gosh, I've <laughs> been wondering how I'm going to recap this. There are a number of uh, breweries in Ontario and he makes the point that a lot of them are contract, but not exclusively contract. And by no means is that meant to be a dig at contract brewers. Let's get that out there right away. There are some contract breweries who I adore. So, uh, But that there is certainly a trend that there are these pale ales that are on the market that are just, they're not bad. They're, they're fine. They're, they're, again, I, the word I used a while ago is middling. 
they're not fantastic, but they're also not bad. There's nothing wrong with them. They're tasty. They're balanced. And his thing was that what it basically is, is it's like a hybrid between an English and an American style or pale ale. So it's the, the, you know, West coast or North American or new world, whatever you want to call it, hopping. That's a bit bright and citrusy or maybe a bit piney. Um, but certainly not those really traditional sort of spicy or tannic kind of English hops uh, with a lot more balance than maybe you would get like in, in Mandy's Hop Juice, Naughty Neighbor, which is, um, <laughs> I don't think Let's Ryan would be offended Nickel, if I said not. Nickelbrook is cool with us calling this Hop Juice because yeah, we're, we're using it in, in an endearing way. It's delicious. It's, delicious it's a fantastic it's really beer. Good. And I wouldn't define it as balanced insofar as having a equal balance between malty sweetness and hoppy bitterness, I would say it's skewed heavily to the hoppy side. And, uh, I, I which hope is what makes that's, it so, which that's what makes yeah. it so great. That's why it's so yeah. great. It's I delicious. hope that's what they're aiming for. Cause that would be a very costly and very shocking screw up if, if that was an accident, but uh, I know it's not Ryan's a big hop guy, so that's fine. So, uh, but, but these Ontario beers or Ontario pale ales as Ben calls them, They've got the balance of the English style pale ale, which I mean, a good English style pale ale is a thing to behold. But these are like an English style pale ale on balance, and they use a lot of crystal or more recently honey malt, although Ben didn't note that, but it's not uncommon. Um, and and New World hops, and they're just they're just fine, and that in of itself wouldn't be or, such a problem. Well, I think you're being a little biased. They're not just fine; they can be really great. They can be really good. I think Ben is describing them as though they can be just fine. Okay, so this will be part of the conversation. I'm recapping what Ben says, which is that the ones that he's railing against. And so, like, for instance, he wouldn't call Naughty Neighbor one of the Ontario Pale Ales. It would be outside of that category. Correct. Um, But that the ones that he's talking about, they're just, they're harmless. They're they're fine. Um, and that there, to his point, there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's it's better to be making a beer that isn't bad, right? Uh, but he just says that because there are so many of them, that they they've they just they're boring now, and that he wants people to do things different. And it's funny the point that he makes, and it's a good one. And I I can remember a conversation sort of a couple of years back that ties into this, is that like now the Ontario Pale Ale. That's like the safe flagship brand for a new up and coming brewery. You know, it used to be you had to make a cold yellow beer. And so you'd make like a blonde or like, a, you know, an English style golden ale or like a Kolsch like Bose did or whatever. And people would be like, well, yeah, you, you know, you have to come out of the gate with this safe yellow beer that you could sell to a Canadian drinker. And now it's like, no. For the the up and coming guys, and, and actually, I'm just kind of relooking over the post as I'm doing this. One of the points that he makes is that uh, a lot of the time, these are people who are just kind of popping up a contract brewery, kind of trying to. Does he actually use the word cash in? I don't know if he does, but that's the implication. Is that a lot of the time these these are breweries that are yeah he says. Uh, uh, given that they're not fueled by a passion to make beer or some drive to bring their long-held recipes to the people. Oh, that sounded good. They inevitably choose options most likely to make them money, and because of Ontario's wacky beer industry, they all make pretty much the same effing decisions. So, yeah. That's what he's talking about, is is these beers. And he actually 
Ben can be a bit of a, a firebrand, let's say. And uh, he doesn't really point fingers too much, which is good. Um, he does make a little dig about the fact that a lot of them turn to Paul Dickey to make their beer and points out that Paul's a fantastic brewer and makes some like, stellar, stellar beers, but that there's certainly a trend that a lot of people making pale ales get Paul to pilot their recipe for them, I guess. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like it's, it's not, he's not really naming names so much here. He's just saying these, these beers, this is his description, medium amber color, biscuit, caramel, soft fruit, malt, touch of citrus and light hops with a balanced hoppy bitter finish, uh, which pretty much sums it up. Um, you guys make a pale ale. I wouldn't define it as a Ben Johnson, Ontario pale ale, but what are your thoughts on this? Well, I kind of, I kind of would. I, I often refer to it with some of the same descriptors that Ben used in his article, and I don't take offense at all to Ben's article. It's just, a, it's not a style that he likes. I think he's, in a way, I, I agree with most of what he's saying in the article. I just don't like the implication that this is only a style that is to be brewed to be safe, for, like the for, for the sole purpose of just being being safe, um, and that it's just a tactic used by contract brewers who are looking to cash in. I think that's a bit taking it to another level. But generally, I do agree with what Ben's saying. Um, however, I don't have as big of a hate on for the Ontario Pale Ale as Ben does, because I think many of them can be very well made. And it's the very reason I picked up Collingwood's Downhill Pale Ale and why I just opened the can and, and poured it into a glass, because I think it it mm -hmm. sort of fits that description in many ways. And I think it's a really, really, really good beer. Um, Collingwood's making really great beers. They're not a contract brewery just trying to be safe and looking to cash in. They're trying to serve a market uh, that has varied tastes. And this pale ale, their pale ale, it's a 5.4% pale ale. It has a fairly strong malt backbone. It has a nice, fresh, hop profile. I'm not particularly sure which types of what type of hops are used in the beer, if I had to make a guess at it, I would think they would be more New World or American-style hops. And I think those two things balance each other out very nicely. And we, I think we do something similar with Maris, our pale ale. Um, we use the Maris Otter, which is a British style of malt. We use American hops, and we find that the two sort of balance each other out. Um, for us, we don't go to it as our, as our flagship brand. That Maris isn't our flagship brand, and that's a whole other story for a different day. Um, but it serves a really important role in our portfolio, and I think uh, I think it needs to be treated as such. I don't know. It's uh, I just I just don't think it's a bad style, and Ben thinks it's a bad style. Um, and I don't necessarily think it needs to be just equated with contract brewers who are looking to cash in. Although that is a growing trend in the market, and one that concerns me as well. I just don't take quite as big of a I don't know extremist approach to it as Ben might take. I would point out, I don't think Ben necessarily thinks it's a bad style. I think he's he says it's indicative of a problem with the way that breweries start and the way that beer is marketed. He he references the fact that, you know, getting one skew at the LCBO, he says it's easy. That's maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but that certainly compared to picking up a second and third skew, the first one is, is probably the easiest of the three. Um, but that he... His point, I think, is is more to do with sort of the the mindset behind the production of it. I now will step back and say, and I don't know, it'd actually be interesting, it might even have to be off the record, but to ask Ben sort of point blank, 
So it's funny because, I mean, you mentioned Collingwood and obviously I mentioned Maris. I wouldn't have necessarily put those into the category that I perceive Ben to be talking about. And again, I don't really think we need to point fingers here, but I mean, I can think of a handful of beers that fit a bit more in the the category that I think he's talking about. Whereas I think, anyway, I don't think that the, that Collingwood or yours would would be in it. Um, I see where you're going with this. I think what you're saying is he's talking about well, and if you read a little more deeply, he's talk, Ben's talking about more than a beer style. He's talking about a a way to market and a business plan and that's what he yeah i guess that's yeah. what he hates uh and yeah that's a there are too many examples yes there are too many examples of single brand ontario paleo contract brew beers doing that contract breweries doing that yes i would agree um it, it does lack creativity in that everyone's sort of doing the same thing but if you if you are approaching your single brand contract brewery from a purely business perspective, and beer is a business, we can't pretend it's not, um, the vast majority of the drinking public overwhelmingly enjoys North American pale ales, right? So, or sorry, North American lagers. And the Ontario pale ale can be, for those drinkers, an adventurous step into craft beer or a step that they see as, a, as an adventurous step into craft beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often what that'll end up translating into, at least I believe it'll translate into curiosity if they have a good experience it can translate into curiosity about craft beer as a whole uh, and may lead them down the path to more adventurous beers and less uh less ontario pale ales and they, they could explore breweries a little bit more if they if they have a good experience with their and i hate to call it this but if they have a great experience with gateway beers like that yeah i, I hear what you're saying i i think i tend to side a little bit more on Ben's point of view on this that I don't know I just I think I think I worry because I see people who you know despite what he says about like you know not having the passion or whatever I think I think even in the case of people who are sort of more or less marketing an idea that you know they they have some some drive or whatever they want to see this do well and I, I honestly think, you know, even as craft is growing, there's going to be some amount of, of sort of hedge trimming coming in the next couple of years. And some of these places probably will either have to reform or shut. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I think, I, I think, <laughs> I think there are probably some places where quality might be a bit of an issue and they might go first. And then people who just sort of produce the same, rough same thing and only that might not be far behind so i kind of hope that i think that's a long 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 way off chris i think it's a really long way off like more Uh, than 80 percent of the public overwhelmingly drinks north american light lagers and i think they could easily be transitioned over to ontario pale ales and drink exclusively that and be quite happy drinking that forever i actually agree with you but so my point is more that what's going to happen when they do that is there will be a small handful of people who make them who have the marketing game down or who have the whatever, the packaging. There will be a few who excel at that. And I don't think that that, tra- that transition market is going to support 14 of basically the same beer. Maybe they will. I could be wrong. But I, I, I suspect, I yeah. I su- I suspect Look there at- will be really nice cans on three of them that are going to be the ones that will just start to dominate 
and uh, or maybe the ones who started the game early enough that they have some pockets by the time that happens, and they're the ones who can invest in better placement and 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 exciting events at bars and stuff, and just get their name out and uh, and be be the, be it. But but I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. I think there's room for a well-made example of that style in from every local brewery and every local market in Ontario. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I do. I totally do. Look at wine. Look at how similar many wines are to one another. How many Pinot Grigios are on the shelf of the LCBO? Yeah, that's a fair point. And and I mean, same with uh, like value brand Merlots and stuff. So, yeah, maybe. It'd be You know what? I think it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, I don't think this is going to be funny because again, man, I'm, I'm knocking down these throws to the next segment. Like it ain't no thing. But um, I would say that probably isn't going to be something that's going to keep you guys up at night. Um, just given a very, very different approach and different model that left field carries. And I could think of numbers of brewers who would be in the same boat. That said, another, uh, what would we say? Another, another voice in the Toronto scene. Let's go with that. Uh, Jordan St. John wrote, uh, uh, quite a, uh, quite a direct uh, post to mainly to uh, brewers uh, in the province. Uh, and again, didn't, I don't think pointed a single finger, which was nice of him. Um, oh no, there was, okay. There was two in the opening paragraph, but once he got into the content of the actual post, he didn't really point to anybody in particular. He just noted that a lot of the beers that he was trying recently were bad. No, I don't but. think he pointed at any any fingers for uh, any bad beers that he had. I don't think he called anyone out. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. There was yeah. there were some fingers pointed in 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 the opening paragraph, non related, and then uh, as far as the, the the bad beers, nope, no fingers pointed. Which uh, that's good. I actually had a similar, less angry post. Uh, basically saying that if brewers were sending me beer that wasn't good, I wasn't going to just not review it and let it slide. I was going to email them and tell them, I actually know about this stuff now, and that wasn't good, and here's why. Um, it's only happened twice since that post came out. Uh, neither time did I get a response, but I digress. Uh, but he's talking about, let's see. Um, well, I mean, for one, he talked about how he had Goose Island IPA, and it's really good, and I actually I, I agree with him quite a bit there. Goose Island IPA. He says it's made in Montreal. My understanding was it was made in London, but uh, wherever it's made, it's made in the country now, and it's quite good. It is a rock-solid IPA, I would say. But then he talks about he had eight beers at um, somewhere, I'm just scanning here, and that there was... Uh, at the new uh, craft brasserie and grill down in Liberty Village, 120 craft taps. Yep, there you go. Thank you. That is a lot of... <laughs> It is. It's a, if you Holy haven't checked shit. it out, you should, you should go check it out because it's a pretty marvelous uh, setup they have. There's a window looking into the uh, the cake fridge. You can see all 120 brands tapped. Um, everything they do there is about yeah, it's just about variety and quality and freshness. It's pretty crazy. Whose definition of craft do they use? No, let's not do that right now. Um, <laughs> but he says you know he had ones that were phenolic and they had soap and. People saying they were bringing a style that they just weren't. And so he's talking about the fact that that brewers have to be better is what he's saying, basically. And that 
guys from the States like Goose Island and uh, like Lagunitis and places like that are coming and they are often in some cases backed by massive companies with massive budgets of money set out to basically destroy the low hanging fruit, which is people who really don't make stellar beers. Now, so I, I'm going to write off editorialize a bit before I hand it over to you and say that I certainly haven't experienced the level of quality issues that he's listing here. I will also admit that I'm, well, that's not true. I'm out a bit. I mean, I've been to some festivals and stuff recently. I remember there was a time when I would be at a festival and at least two or three times I would have something that I would kind of stop with it in my mouth and think, what am I going to say to this person standing across the table from me? Cause this isn't stellar, but I actually haven't experienced that so much recently. Um, but yeah, his point is that people are releasing things that shouldn't be released, that they should have been poured out and things that just aren't on style or, or whatever. And, uh, I mean, in principle, I kind of agree with him. Like I say, my personal experience recently hasn't been that it's that big a problem. Um, but certainly, especially with the pressure coming in now as there are more breweries, as we were just talking about, if you're making an Ontario pale ale and you're not doing it up to spec, there are eight or nine others who probably are kind of nipping at your heels. And then you look at like AB and Bev bringing in Goose Island and all these giant companies coming in. I mean, Sierra Nevada is already here and, uh, that's really, even though it's one of the oldest American style pale ales, it is still a really deeply cut benchmark that's going to be tough to, when people can taste that and they can say, whoa, uh, this American style pale ale of yours is sort of insipid. That's going to be a problem. So it's uh, it's an interesting um, warning, I guess we could say. As uh, an owner of a brewery, uh, how did you read this? You know what? I don't disagree with Jordan. We've been talking about the same sort of things at the brewery. We've been talking about it. Just Mark and I for a long time, I think, for in terms of Jordan's warning that really quality beer is coming and it's coming to this market and it's coming from some really big players. I agree. Uh, I also agree with Jordan's warning that there's an enormous level of investment from American craft breweries coming to Ontario. Noted. Yes, they are coming. Um, and I agree that the, I guess, romanticism associated with craft beer and local craft beer is only going to ever take us so far as an industry. And that's why... As a brewery, we sure will use that to our advantage, but we try not to rely solely on that. Obviously, quality needs to be and consistency need to be the most important things that we do. So it's something that we pay close attention to, and we're um, we're obviously learning a lot along the way. We've only been brewing in our space since February of this year, and we we do still have a lot to learn. But we're taking it very seriously, and we're everything we do is with a ton of care. With that in mind, um, I think if you look at it from the consumer perspective, somebody who's new to someone who's new to craft beer, they're only going to be adventurous so many times if they're just starting to venture out and, and taste different things. Um, if they have bad experiences those first few times, they're going to automatically think craft beer is bad beer. Like not only is it maybe a little too flavorful for them, but it, they're just going to think it's bad beer and then swear it off altogether. So as an entire industry, we all need to be concerned about quality. Every single one of us, whether you're making the best beers or the worst beers, every one of us needs to be concerned about it as a as a collective. 
Um, and that's why we all need to take it so seriously. But I think as a whole, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, Chris, I think as a whole, the industry um, is, I think we're improving. We're not, we're not going backwards as Jordan may, may have implied. I don't know if he did imply that, but I, I sort of took that away as an implied message. Um, I do think Ontario Craft Beer is getting better overall. Uh, I don't know. Do you agree with that or, or not so much? With the sense of everything kind of getting better, I, I definitely yeah. do. I think in reading what he says, I would hope he wouldn't be the kind of person who would suggest that, you know, we aren't making huge leaps forward. And, and I mean, there are, you know, I want to say dozens, maybe not quite dozens, but a lot of breweries that are really excelling. Um, and that's that's something. I think his point is that a lot of the a lot of the newer brewers and a lot of the newer offerings are tasting a bit, uh, a bit, you know, untried or, or under executed. Um, but I, I think, I, I, well, no, not, I think I've been saying it's been driving me crazy. One of the things that you get, you know, when you, there, there's sort of circles, I think to the, the craft beer world and you sort of get into a circle that's pretty near the middle. And, uh, you start running into this this real naysayer. Uh, it, I mean, it comes down to hipsterism that is like, oh, we're, we're so far behind the United States. We're so far behind the United States. And I'm not sure if I was ever actually guilty of saying that myself, but certainly I was aware of it as, as something that people would say or whatever. And except that now, I mean, I've drank U.S. beers that are, world-class stellar fantastic i've had heady topper which is amazing it's sculpin probably my top ever was alpine duet which was like just fantastic and people say i'm being romantic or whatever there are ontario beers that i would set against every one of those and be like especially given the market which is to say i can get bone shaker off the line you know I can get a Canuck right out of the right out of the brewery. Hell, I'm drinking are, a naughty neighbor that's six days old. It's, right, the the freshness is just fantastic. And so when you look at Ontario that way, you're right. You know what? I bet if you got a can of Heady off the line, and and you know we're able to hop on a helicopter and fly to Leaside and get a bone shaker right off the line and drink them right side by side, there would be a, a, a chunk of the population to be like, yeah, the Heady's better you know, subjective tastes being what they are. But those beers are going to be running right next to each other in most races. And if you're in Ontario and that heady is two weeks old and that bone shaker is brand new, I'm going to give the marks to the bone shaker probably most of the time. So I think that Ontario is is definitely growing up and definitely excelling. And, and now this sense that, oh, we're three years behind the U.S. and all this kind of muttering you get from sort of the old guard. No, I, I think we're right on. I think we have breweries that are definitely as good as as the U.S. counterparts, and that's that's something to be happy about. I think, I think the warning that you know, and actually, it even goes to that sense of the Ontario Pale Ale. You know, the time that you can kind of throw your hat in the ring and have a go at making a middling beer. I don't know. Maybe it is on the way out. Maybe. As I noted, maybe there will be a couple that do it really well and the rest are going to have to 
rethink their, their approach or whatever. But, uh, I think, I think the, the quality issues, I think if, if, if things are sort of as bleak as he's saying, it's a fair warning. Um, again, I haven't necessarily tasted that bleak, uh, uh, uh scenario, but, uh, but yeah, I think I think if if people are pushing things out, if people are are sort of minding the bottom line more than the product, that that can be problematic, and it's something that should be a cause for concern. But I haven't found it. I personally find most of the things that I get handed these days are at least great, if not you know really, really, really good. So that's yeah. To your to your point about being behind, like being behind the U.S. market, I I was probably one of those people that three years ago would spew that off over and over and I, I don't really say that so much anymore we are we're, we're behind in terms of market share but i don't think we're we're terribly far behind if at all in terms of quality uh a good illustration of that was when we went down to the craft brewers conference this year in portland at preview i may have even mentioned this in the first podcast but in previous at previous craft brewers conferences we were just like completely wowed about what we were having down in the u.s uh in some great craft beer cities like san francisco and denver um, and this past year in Portland, we were completely wowed. But in the mo- at the most recent conference, it was like the beer was good and there was good beer everywhere. And the most impressive thing was that there was craft beer absolutely everywhere you went. Um, but it wasn't as earth shattering as it had been before. It's like, yeah, yeah, we've had good beer. We have good beer all the time in Ontario. It's great. Um, and I think the gap is, cl- the gap truly is closing. Um, but I, Jordan's point is, is noted there are quality beers coming from a very, very, very large multinational um, beer company. And they're flavorful, and that that was that's been the biggest gap for a long time. Is that these beers from AB and Bev and Heiser Busch they they lacked flavor, and so that was one of the reasons that consumers would would go over toward craft beer and that they would be drawn to craft beers they couldn't get flavor elsewhere, right? But now they do have flavorful beers. They have tons of money. They have money to sample. They have money to to market to huge audiences. They have money to build awareness. They have money to buy draft lines and to send bar owners down to these giant breweries in the U.S. and do all these things they're not legally allowed to be doing, but they get away with doing anyway. And they have a lot of power. They have power over distribution. And so when you match flavorful beers with all of those other factors around power and money, that is something to be afraid of because uh, we're not on a level, we're not on a level playing field. We have great quality beer with flavor, but the resources just, we're, we're, breweries like mine are never, ever, ever going to have the resources or the power um, that ABM has, right? So it's, it is scary and it's something we need to, we do need to be worried about, but I think there are other, uh, there are other, other reasons by which we will be, successful or other factors that will set us apart from those breweries so that's something you and i haven't talked a lot about but it's something we can get into yeah i mean i'm gonna throw that in the show notes for next time i will say this and and i don't i don't i think we won't touch on the revisit at least in this context the craft versus not craft thing because we're actually already at an hour 28 uh and with minimal breaks um that's quite a long podcast already but but i will say this and I can kind of understand one of the arguments against the point that I would try and make about the definition of craft. Craft brewing, for the most part, in Ontario, certainly, because that's where I have experience. I think I've even said this in the podcast. Um, in other places as well, you see it 
you know, in other markets is so fraternal. And there are examples of some of the bigger guys having, I'm just going to say it's sleazy sales staff who, you know, do gross things to try and knock off other people's lines and stuff like that. But outside of that, the business of the brewery, these are, are, you know, businesses that work together. I mean, I cannot, I actually probably couldn't count on my fingers and toes the number of times that Great Lakes and Amsterdam have collaborated on beers. And based on scale and kind of market penetration, they should be each other's direct competition, right? They should be actively trying to put each other out of business if you follow sort of the common, commonly held capitalistic principles of business operation. And they don't. In fact, they work together constantly, you know. There are stories of of multiple places. We've talked about Black Oak being famous for hooking up new breweries, giving them equipment, letting them brew in their space, getting them in on hop orders when they couldn't get minimum orders up, whatever. You know, this sense of of looking out for each other and wanting each other to do well is definitely a part of what I guess you could define as craft brewing. As good as Goose Island is, the guys and girls, the people selling Goose Island will be directly targeting every other IPA in the market and trying to destroy it. Like that is how they operate. And so as good as the beer is, as as well-made, as whatever, the way that it is sold is outside of that craft experience. And I think in a way, probably you're right. I mean, you know what? They're going to do things that are illegal. And God help us, because they might, we might get a cease and desist, but I won't because I could document the illegal practices through things that I have on paper that have been given to me at the bar. So they do things that are patently, patently, whatever, illegal, offering money back on kegs. Like you say, taking people down, taking people to the Super Bowl and stupid stuff like that, buying TVs for bars, whatever. This stuff is completely illegal in Ontario and they do it all the time and get away with it. And even if a brewery like Lifefield could afford it, they wouldn't do it on principle. And that does make the playing field horrendously unfair. So I talk about, you know, Goose Island's delicious and whatever. Just remember when you're buying it, you're buying it from a company that aggressively and often illegally is trying to put your charming little local brewery out of business forever. And that's a bad thing. So I... I will give you that on the craft, not craft kind of uh, front. Hey, do you want to know what you could do if you wanted to uh, put us to the test and see if Ontario really is up to snuff? What's that, Chris? That was a really nice segue. Isn't that amazing? I think I'm like six for six. It's OCB week starting today. Yay. You should get a real radio show and not, uh, not podcast with me anymore. You're too good at segues. I don't know about that. That's let's not get crazy here. But that was that was a pretty good one. That one actually might have been the best one yet. Um, and actually, the funniest part about this is, is that Mandy put it in the show notes because I don't plan ahead, and so we're recording this in advance. But this is going to go out on the first day of OCB week. But I don't think you know hours or days in advance, so I didn't think about it. But uh, OCB week, and you want to talk about what events that we will be participating in. Uh, you go first, because I bet you got a bunch. We actually don't have that many this year. We're really trying to keep it simple and scale back and just do really, really good ones that we think will have a good impact. So 
Um, we are participating in the Beach Barbecue and Brews Fest. We've talked about that on a previous show. Uh, it's just a really fun rib fest that's down in our own neighborhood. Uh, and it's a really, really cool, chill, fun time. You can eat great ribs and come drink some of our beer and hang out in Woodbine Park down at the beach. So it's a lot of fun. We're doing that as part of OCB Week. It takes place on Father's Day weekend. If you've never been, it's it's basically as chill as a beer fest gets. So you should go and check it out. Yeah. It's not a beer fest. It's a rib fest with great beer. Yeah, we love it. It's, uh, it's you tops. You can bring kid, kids and dogs and hang out at the beach. It's really fun. Um, so that's one that we do every year and we're going to continue to do this year. We're participating in the, the Danforth pub crawl with a whole host of other Ontario craft breweries. Um, we hit up like seven or eight, uh, great craft beer spots along the Danforth. That's on the, uh, on the Monday night. And we are featured at one location, although many of the, the spots along the Danforth do already pour our beer. So you'll be able to get left field beers along the way, but there, there's all kinds of other great craft beers that you can get along the way as well. And there'll be represent representatives from every brewery. I think I said there were seven or eight breweries. And we give away swag and do fun contests and stuff along the way. And you get to just sort of hang out for the night and talk beer. So it's fun. What, uh, um, what, venue, also, what venue are you guys, sorry? Uh, what venue are you featured at? Uh, this year we'll be featured at Sarah's Cafe on the Danforth. Ooh. So it's at Danforth and I think right at Monarch Park. It is um, right Between at Coxwell, Coxwell and Greenwood. And uh, yeah. It's a, a great little spot. We've been on top there on a, as part of their rotating tap for quite some time. But I think for the pub crawl, they'll be bringing on a couple of our beers. So it'll be a really good time. Definitely come out if you've never been to the Danforth pub crawl. It's a really cool way just to hang out and meet new people and check out a bunch of new spots. Uh, so we're doing that. And then we're doing a couple of beer dinners. So we have a beer dinner going on on the Tuesday evening. Um, it's a collaboration beer dinner with Great Lakes Brewery at Morgan's on the Danforth. So there's a Bit of a theme going on here so far every event that i've mentioned has been right in our own hood and that's uh sort of intentionally so um so morgan's is a really fantastic restaurant in the neighborhood and we're putting on a, a beer dinner with them in in collaboration with great lake so that'll be a lot of fun uh, four courses and a beer pairing with each course and beer pairings from both great lakes and left field and then uh my favorite and i'm, I'm excited I'm most, about this one yeah most excited about is uh what I'm calling a beer dinner of epic proportions. It is a beer dinner in left field inside the Rogers Center. Yes, that's right, folks. Craft beer inside the Rogers Center um, in the restaurant in the Renaissance Hotel. We're doing a four course beer pairing dinner during a Jays versus Mets game. That's just mind bogglingly fantastic. It's yeah, it's that, gonna it, it couldn't gonna be, be more awesome. perfect. Like that's that's just amazing. I, that's a Friday, right? It's on the, the Thursday night, sorry. It's oh, the, the uh, it's a two-game series. The Mets are in town for a two-game series, and it's the second of the two games on the Thursday. I don't think I can make it Thursday. I looked at that, and I was like, I'm going to go. And then I was like, oh, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can make it, unfortunately. Because I that, to me, I mean, just like in terms of thematic perfection, it just doesn't get better than that. It's just amazing. So if you're listening to this right now, tickets might already even be sold out. I don't know. How quick are they moving? You got limited numbers, for the beer, right? For the beer dinner, they're moving pretty quickly, but uh, like I guess it's Monday night. We're recording. We're recording on Monday. So by the time this airs, they'll probably, I would guess, be sold out just based on the pace that they're moving at. But um, we have it posted on our website and on Facebook. Um, so it doesn't hurt to give the, uh, the restaurant a call and check out. They may still have some seats available. I know they are fairly limited, though. That little break there, Mandy. Now say, yep, they're sold out. Uh, better luck next time or something like that. 
Yep. As far as I know, they're sold out. Better luck next time. It's going to be an awesome dinner. I'll post uh, some photos, share with everyone. It's tragic that you missed it. But anyway, Uh, that's fantastic. For me, for my OCB week, do you want to know what I know what I'm doing so far? Yeah. Have you planned ahead that, that far? No, not even close. I'm going to session, which is tomorrow because this will be released on Friday and sessions on Saturday. And that's going to be good fun. I'm stoked on that one. I'm a, I'm a fan of the session at uh, Young and Dundas and I will be, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Last time I photobombed Tom Green f- showing a photo that I photobombed, which was, I don't know if I'm going to top that, to be honest with you. That's going to be tough, but I got a friend coming down from way up north in Bracebridge and we're going to hit it together. So that should be good. And I will probably be at, I don't know if I will be at the beach barbecue and beer fest though, actually, because what, well, but here's the thing. And, and I think when I tell you why you'll kind of go, yeah, no, you probably won't be. Here's the deal. It runs 20th, 21st, right? It's the Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. So the Friday is in there too. Here's what's happening on the Saturday, on the 20th. Oh, and and glad I brought this up. I had said that the Cezanne tasting at Castro's was going to be on the 20th. It's not. I think it's going to be on the 27th, the week following. I'm going to shift it back because the weekend of the 20th is going to be crazy for me because on the 20th, um, a lot of you all know, I, I went to Nicaragua. I took a team from my, my church, some teenagers and some adults down and worked on a coffee farm. And that was a wicked good time. And we're doing a little reunion, and uh, I'm going to be cooking some barbecue for that reunion, which I love to do. I don't eat much in the way of meat, but I do love cooking it. And uh, I don't know what we're doing yet, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be pulled pork. I might do some like St. Louis-style ribs. There might be more. There probably will be more because I can't do anything simply. Um, there will definitely be like grilled corn and baked beans and cornbread and all that good stuff. So I'm going to be working pretty hard, probably Thursday and Friday, and then into Saturday on that, getting that pulled together. And then the next day, the Sunday, uh, we do a service at my church that's outside. It's on the rectory lawn. And uh, the two things that I bring to that, we do a picnic after. The two things I bring to that is, you guessed it, barbecue, generally just a whole lot of pulled pork, and also normally a keg of beer. I've actually, I, I think... Last year, the year before, we did Maris. It was quite nice. Um, but my life is going to be revolved around slow-cooked, over-hickory, hardwood, fire, pork, which I don't actually eat for about three days. And I think by Sunday after the barbecue at the church, the last place I might want to go is another barbecue event. We'll have to see. I'm going to guarantee my wife isn't coming because she hates that. And uh, not the event. She hates that the whole house is going to reek like barbecued pork, which she also doesn't eat uh, for three or four days. But uh, she will almost definitely be cashed out on barbecue at that point. Um, But I, I might go over, wander over, because I'm a sucker for craft beer. But man, that's going to be a lot like... Like I'm, I'm just going to smell like a barbecue pit for about a week, I think. By the time I've done all the prep and by the time I've like sweated it out of my skin, it's... Oh. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like that's pretty much the same way that you smell after working the festival for the whole weekend. When you worked it with us the one time, you know that you go home just reeking like 
slow cooked meat and being at the festival the whole time. Yeah, it really gets into you. It's, uh, it's something. So, so I'll see. And then other than that, um, I firmly don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's there's tricky. There's a lot going on during the week. You need to start building uh, your schedule. There's a ton you, of events on the uh, on the OCB Week events website. What's that website again? <laughs> I honestly don't know. I need to look it up. <laughs> it's ocbweek.ca. The best part is I'm fully not editing that out. Um, yeah, ocbweek.ca. I got that right? It's about as simple as it gets, yeah. ocbweek.ca. <laughs> That's, that is. Uh, so look that on up. Uh, for me, midweek is tough, uh, you know, with the kids and Erica works a lot. And my mom's actually away. She's my normal kind of childcare. So <sighs> we'll have to see. I can make events late. So I might like turn up to the Danforth crawl um, at the last stop, which is sort of my normal MO anyway. Uh, so not that there's anything wrong with any of the other stops. It's just I normally am a late arriver. So we'll see what we see. But uh, yeah, OCB week is going to be a good time. So check that out. Get your get your schedule put up, and actually uh, look for us at the uh, at the the events. I'm trying to think. Of, just invent something right off the top of my head. If you, this is what I'll say. If you find one of us at an event, just kind of come over and be like, "Hey, I listen to the podcast. My name is this." Right? Uh, top marks. If you rock out like a selfie with one of us, because then whichever one of us will remember it the next day, which can be touch and go at that sort of an event. But if you throw it down and, and tag at TO podcast, sorry, TO beer podcast, uh, Instagram or Twitter. And uh, if, if we get some of that, if some people do that, we'll uh, we'll give you something cool. I got some cool beer in my fridge or Mandy can give you like a bottle of beer. I don't know what something we'll, we'll pull something together and uh, you'll get a neat little little something from the uh, Toronto beer podcast. So if you see me or Mandy at an event, go ahead, come over, talk to us, tell us you're entering the contest. We'll throw down your name or tweet it or whatever. And we'll give you something cool if you're randomly selected. So that's, I, that's our first contest right there. I just invented it. What do you think? Just like that. You didn't round it by me, but I don't mind. It's good. I like it. I know. <laughs> Mandy, you're giving people stuff for free on my say. So I, if, if you need to, uh, you know, run that by the account and just put my name on it. I'm sure it'll be fine. So, uh, but that's about it. I mean, we are really long now. That was a, this is a oh, marathon. I only got through one beer. I didn't get to try that. Uh, the Collingwood Saison. I'm going to have to have that tomorrow. So I'll, I'll I've, you know, I'll, I'll drink it and enjoy it. Maybe I'll actually do a review on that one too. Cause I missed it. Uh, anything you want to add anything you got to say before you go, how's Wrigley doing? You see that dog yet? Pick and play is on Saturday, so it's the first time we actually get to see him up close and personal. Tons of new photos of him, and he's looking adorable, although he has sausage-sized paws. They're so cute. The why why is this not on Instagram? I haven't seen this on Instagram. Why not? The photos just the photos that we've been getting, they're, they're too tiny. They, they don't really look very good on Instagram. So Saturday, stay tuned, Saturday at Left Field Wrigley. It's um, the draft. Yeah. We're going to get to... Pick and play. We, we sort of know who he is already just from following all the photos that we get. There's like an ugly duckling and a really adorable dog. But just our luck, the uh, the super adorable one's probably going to be the jerk and we'll end up going home with the ugly duckling. But I, I don't really care as long as we have a, a very well-behaved dog. That's all, that's all that really matters. Uh, and I sh- I'm sure the little little ugly guy will be just as cute once he's ours. So. What place do you have in the pick? Are you, are you, like, are you the, the Edmonton letter. Oilers? We have, we have first, first pick. So you're, yeah. you're gold. 
That's great. Yeah. I think you should take the ugly one personally. Yeah, we'll have to see it. It's all going to come down to temperament, right? So we, I've heard that the only thing you can't, uh, you can't sort of train really negative quality that you can't train a dog to, to lose would be fear. So there are some little tests that I've been reading about that you can do with the puppy uh, to see if they're fear, fear, fearful, like throwing their, your keys at them or something. <laughs> Not directly at them, just uh, on the ground. <laughs> oh, there's that congestion. I'm going to show up with a, uh, with a, a chainsaw. <laughs> And a goalie hockey mask and uh, engage. <laughs> you should have, you should stage like a purse snatching. So you should have like a purse and you should bring somebody who just rushes in all of a sudden. Bring Kevin and have him rush in and grab your purse. And whichever dog tries to bite him, that's the one you should take. No, I don't think so. It's going to come down to whichever one's the most loving. I think, I uh, know, so, I see, think the purse I think snatch, you just know. It's like, you, no, you should do the purse. If you, I think you should do the purse. No snatch. purse snatching, but I may throw my keys on the ground and see who gets spooked. Stay tuned for more news from uh, Leftfield Wrigley at Leftfield Wrigley. Is that his account? Yeah, on Instagram, he's at Leftfield Wrigley. Yeah, so look up at Leftfield Wrigley. Stay tuned. The draft is this uh, weekend, and uh, Mark and Mandy, they've got a strong. Would you consider trading your first round pick for like a better collar or something like that? No, not really. Okay. That was, a, that was a pretty stupid joke. That might not make the final cut either. Mandy, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Chris. It's been fun. Yeah, always. And uh, we will talk to you all in about uh, two weeks. Happy hope OCB to, week. I uh, hope to see you at OCB week. Thanks for listening, Toronto.